124th episode of Two Writers, Sling and Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, a former ESPN columnist, and the author of multiple New York Times bestsellers. The music you're listening to is Croissants from the great MC White Owl. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from sports writing to screenwriting, political analysis, to motor trend essays, to whatever genre I'm thinking of. And today's episode is what this podcast is really meant to be all about. One recent night, I met up with Liz Astroff, the veteran sitcom writer whose credits include Two Broke Girls, Last Man Standing, The King of Queens, Becker, Jesse. I mean, if you have any working knowledge of network sitcoms, you've seen Liz's work. And this was fun because basically you had two neurotic New York Jews drinking boba, talking shop, comparing notes. It's crass, it's harsh, it's gossipy, and it's insanely fun. Right now on Two Writers, Sling and Yang. All right, Liz. First of all, we're sitting. Where the hell are we? We're Little Tokyo. We're in Little Tokyo. Are we're, we in Little Tokyo? Is that? I don't is know. there is there a neighborhood called Little Tokyo? No. Yes. This is. If there was, this is it. And there's a store with tiny toys okay. behind us. And we're here because of a mutual friend. So uh, I went to high school, Gina Duralamo, Mayo Pack, New York, class of 1990, and she beat me in the election for student government, one of my five losses without a win for student government. Um, I worked with her on a show called Kath and Kim. That's where I met her a million years ago. Good 800 people. years ago, really good. So I want to get into your career, right? But um, you have a book that came out yeah. about parenting, Don't Wait Up, Confessions of a Stay-at-Work Mom. And I was thinking about something because before we started recording, we were talking about movies and how you love airplanes. And I had a moment the other day and I want to ask your opinion on this as an author and as a parent. I was watching with my uh, 12-year-old son, There's Something About Mary. You've seen? Yeah, I quoted it today. Oh, what'd you say? Well, no, I just said that my son had an episode like the kid who doesn't like his ears being touched. Oh, yeah, Warren. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. very nice. Right. He reminded me of Warren. So there's a scene in There's Something About Mary where um, Cameron Diaz comes to his door and he just jerked off. Yes, yes, I can't. I, that, my kids can't. You know what I do? I'm the worst parent because I'll just be like, I'll just be like, shut up to my kids. Like if they even ask anything, I'll be like, shut up. Don't ever say any of those things or those words or anything about that ever again. Like I'm just turning them into like Archie Bunker. But or like predators. I don't know what I'm turning them into, but just it, it, I'm not good. So here's what I did. I saw the opportunity as a chance to talk to my 12-year-old boy about turning up. I'm actually being serious. He, I mean, he's about age. He's almost 13. And I was like, I literally turned to him with Ben Stiller's semen hanging from his ear. Oh, my God. And I said, um, do you know, do you remember we had a talk once? Do you know what masturbation is? And he kind of looked at me confused, you know, and he's like, uh, and we ended up having this long conversation about jerking oh. off. I mean, he's of age where he should know people shouldn't touch you and you can touch yourself right, and right, don't right, feel right, bad right, about right, it and right, blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, well, a little bit. Is that okay. good parenting or okay. bad parenting? I think it's great parenting. My son was wetting his bed. He'll never hear this. He was wetting his bed for a long time and he was claiming that it was not, it was not pee, it was sweat. And then when we did not believe that he only sweat below the waist um, and through his underwear, he um, said that it was a wet dream because he had just had that health class in school. And I was like, it's not a wet dream and you're really going to regret talking about this with me in about four years. And he kept going, Mom, it's a wet dream. And I'm like, Jesse, stop saying wet dream. You're going to regret it. You're going to be really embarrassed someday. Like, I just ruined It's just disgusting. It was pee. He, pees. he stopped like eight months ago. I recently, in the uh, two episodes ago in this podcast, I admitted, because I talked about my uh, my early career at the Nashville Tennessean, and I was really lonely, and I used to pleasure myself to images of Tanya Tucker. The oh, country my singer. God. How long ago was that? I was way back in 94. So okay. she was still, she was only she 60. alive, dead? Well, she's alive. Oh, she would have liked that. I hope she's listening. That's really nice. <laughs> what do you... Is there, are you worried that your son? So do you actually think your son? It. is I'm gonna... so worried about it. I won't even say the things I want to say because he could listen someday. He won't. But I'm so worried about all of it, and I feel like that's my husband's area, and I'm not going to deal with it. But I'm so worried about all of it. Yeah. I'm worried that it's not going to be. He's not going to be like enough. <laughs> like big enough. I just don't. I can't. It's too. It's so worrisome, and it's not my department. He's going to be on the on the 
therapist couch saying, when I was, I can't believe what I told my mom, yes. and I know she's thinking about it yes, now. Yes, I seriously, I worry about this, because he's also said he sleeps with me. Yeah. So it gets like, it's weird when we wake up spooning. You know, like, I don't want it to be weird in the mornings and stuff. Yeah, it's awkward. So, yeah. You're not the only parents, I, you know, I know, my, as I mentioned to you, my wife has worked as a, you know, quote-unquote family coach for years. Oh, we need a family coach. She's very good. And it's not a, I don't know if you think it's uncommon or common, but a lot of parents have their kids sleep in the bed for a long time, actually. Yeah, we don't have a choice. We never sleep trained him. We just couldn't, we couldn't, he was relentless and finally we gave up and now he weighs as much as I do and now it's like he gets into bed, the bed goes down, he puts his glasses on the nightstand, he's like, oh, good night. <laughs> My husband goes in the other room. Like, it's just, and it's all, it's crazy. He just, there's nothing I can do. And he, he needs deep pressure. It calms him. So he has to like wiggle his toes on me all night and I just wind up like punching him and pushing him off of me and like I spend the whole night like just wrestling him off of me so anyway, it's like we're dating yeah I feel great it's a nice it's a nice wait so um, it's like we're, we're gonna go in reverse order I decided okay. alright so you wrote a you're a, you're a uh, long time TV writer yeah. a long time sitcom writer you have a shitload of shows to your credit and um, earlier this year you had a book come out like I said uh, Don't Wait Up Confessions of a Stay at Work Mom and we were talking before this started about the hells of promoting a book yes and um, it's my favorite and least favorite part of book of the book process because I do think it gives you a chance to be creative yeah. uh, but it's also just a major pain yeah so like what were your ex- expectations when you had a book coming out and what is the reality of having a book coming out um, I did not think that I was going to have a nervous breakdown like I would when it came out about the fact that I put all this stuff out there and that it was going to be published and all over the country or the world or anything like that so I was definitely worried about all of that alienating so many people but also I don't know I imagined myself like traveling the country reading excerpts and signing books and stuff and I did that just here yeah. no here I did it here I'm going to something in New York but it was very um, it was kind of anticlimactic but it was kind of like the night of like reading and signing it reminded me of a pilot like you're shooting your pilot your show and like you're like this is your shot and then like the next morning you're like well that's over but this lives on which is kind of cool but as a writer I'm such a behind the scenes person that it's hard for me to be like front and center and like getting attention in that way I like to be like in a ball in a corner mm. like writing that's why I'm not an actress why do you write a book oh my god I always wanted to write a book but I had these stories from my childhood that I couldn't tell on TV because the characters were too unlikable for network TV so when is that I, true yeah so whenever I would pitch them to networks about my childhood people would say well we know you turned out okay but these people are fucking terrible you know the, we can't see this on TV so I was like I'm going to write it as a book and then I'm going to have my own my own intellectual property and turn it into a TV show so now I think I am going to be turning it into a TV show but because I, I you kind of see the pathos behind everybody and also it's cable but also when I was on Whitney um, on the Whitney Cummings show is that a humble brag right there? the humblest humble brag I've, I don't even think it was a brag it was just humble but when I was there my pilot that I wrote that year didn't get shot and I was like I want to do something that's completely my own and I took a class at UCLA extension in um, personal essay writing and I loved it I loved my homework I loved the class party at the end of the year and um, no everybody like brought something they should have had pizza actually I don't know if I loved it (laughs) come to think of it it wasn't that great but we read our stuff and like some people's stuff was horrifying Um, but like in a good way but I just loved it and then I like I hired this professor to like work with me one on one and then um, she ghosted me when I didn't read her pilot it and then um, I just got I just kept doing it I really that's you know I was just inspired to have a book how long did it take you to write it took me to write the book itself only took a year but to write the proposal it took me like four years isn't that crazy? That is crazy. That's crazy. But you told me you were oh like God, a 17 million page stuff. proposal. I had a 225 page proposal. But Wait, was, you know what? Another word for a 225 page proposal is? Garbage. No, a book. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I took a lot of the essays out for the actual book after they bought the proposal because some of them were too inside TV and some of them were too damning that I would regret it. Um, some like TV stuff. Some stuff is still in there, but also um, it needed to, it, it, it's not really, a, it's a mom book, 
but not really. It's more of a memoir, and it's about becoming a comedy writer and how being a, a, a fat camp survivor made me a comedy writer and um, and and be and made me afraid to be a mother. Well, because it seems like the takeaway, if you read reviews of your book and like Amazon, blah blah, and the reviews are really good, but the takeaway seems to be this is a woman who doesn't really like being a mom. You would think that I wouldn't, but I always surprise myself when I like being with them. I usually like being with them after I'm with them or before I'm with them. You're right. You look forward to something and then you're like, I look oh. forward to it and then it's terrible. Yeah. But within, so I had this dietitian who um, I said, I'm going to take over hiatus. I'm going to, I'm going to take my kids. Like I'm going to pick them up from school and I'm not going to have a nanny and then I'm going to be with them for the rest of the night. It's like a, a social experiment. And she just said, I'm begging you not to do that. I had a client who did that or a patient and she gained 30 pounds in three months. Just the stress of being around children. Are you looking to gain weight? No. no, no. So I didn't do it. So I never saw them again. <laughs> no, but I do, I do fear, I fear that I'm going to, my parents were not great and they were kind of violent and I fear that I'm going to snap and go that direction. So did the book, I don't know, is it, I, I don't want to get all, you know, bullshit intellectual, but like, or pseudo intellectual, like, do you at all write this book as some sort of warning to yourself or some sort of, if I put it out there, my concerns and blah, 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 maybe it... Oh, sure. It, yeah. was, it was also, yes. And it was also, um, uh, like, unfolding. As things unfolded, I related a lot of my childhood back to the decisions I make now as a parent, which are crazy, but you see why. But also, it was very therapeutic to write it. And depending on what I was writing, I would either come home in, like, a horrible mood or happy. And, like, it really, like, fucks with you a bit. Don't you oh, think? yeah. Yeah. So... And then I was like, who gives a shit about my shit? Who cares? And then... You went through all the seven stages of... uh, I don't know all of them, but of writing, you know? (laughs) Yes, for sure. And I was definitely... It was a much better process than TV. It was a much better, more of a writer's medium than TV. There's less people telling you. It's more your own, I think. So, all right. So, here's what's interesting. We were just talking about this. I, um... As I mentioned to you, I have a book being adapted. Is that the right word? To TV. So amazing. Thanks. And, um... My, uh, you know, when I talked to my agent about it, she's like, how much, how involved do you want to be? And I was like, eh, I don't really need to be that involved, right? I went to the writer's room one day, okay? It's like seven people, creative people, walking around, sitting around a table. Lunch is delivered. Um, Adam McKay is in charge. There's a former member of the Lakers sitting there. It's in a beautiful conference room. Where? Somewhere in LA. Right, of course. But it was like, and I was like, why am I writing books? And here's the funny thing. You sat down and you're like, I just want to write books. Yes. And I feel like we almost should, we could just trade yes. lives right now. Because that lunch is, that lunch is such a bribe because the lunch that they're, they're the lunch they're getting is to make them feel better about the fact that they're prisoners. Like, you're a prisoner when you're on a show. You're not leaving. So you can order in all the snacks and all the food you want, and you can feel like you can order coffee and all that shit, but you're still, you do not get to go home until you are done. So it's basically like you're stuck on a plane and they bring out the crackers. It's the worst, yes. And this one writer on Two Broke Girls, we were shooting until 1 o'clock in the morning one night, and we are all, like, all the director's chairs were lined up by the monitors, and she just was sitting there eating, and she just goes, this is the worst flight I've been on and got up and left. Wait, I just want to tell you a funny story. I once did a story for a TV guide once, a freelance piece. Uh-huh. There's a show called Love Monkey with yeah. Tom Cavanaugh, Jason Priestley, and right. Trey Lorenz. Oh my God, yes. And I went on set. It was my first time ever on set for a TV show. And I'm really excited. It's in New York. And I go there. And they're shooting the same fucking scene 30 times in a row. And at one point, I said to Jason Priestley of 90210 fame, I said, this seems kind of boring. And he goes, brother, you have no idea it's fucking awful. It really is. By the way, so I went to school with some of those people. Like, my kids go to school with some of those people. Yeah. And it's so sad because also, like, you see them in real life and you look up to them so much on TV. And then you grow up and they're sitting next to you in, like, a parent-teacher conference. And they're, like, they have, like, food on their shirt. And, like, you could see where their extensions, their hair extensions start. And, like, half their face is, like, uneven. And you're, like, this is so such a bummer. Would you not want your kids to enter entertainment as far as acting? Is it a good life or a bad life? I think it's only a good life for like poor people. I think it's a good life, first of all, if you're on a multicam show that shoots in front of an audience, your hours are much better. If you're on a single camera show that shoots like that Jason Priestley show, it's fucking terrible. And then, um... I think if you're like, think of how many famous people you know, like five, like not that many. So if you're Denzel Washington or Tom Hanks, then it's great. It's great. But if you're not, if you're like, 
Schmenzel. Sure, or Jason Priestley. You're showing yes. and you're, you're fighting and for now their show. This, and now this 90210 thing, which Tori, like, they spearheaded her and Jenny Garth. Like, yeah. completely spearheaded yeah. it. And Luke is dead. Like, that's really the moral of everything is that Luke Perry's dead. Do you love Luke Perry? I did. I loved him. I did. And I think he lived on my blog. Wait, do you, as a TV writer, still fall for it at all? What I mean is, like, do you still have expectations the first time you're meeting someone and you know them as whatever, Dylan McKay from 90210, or pick your character? Yes, I still fall for that. You do? Yes, yes, yes. So, like, when I worked with Kevin James, I thought he was going to be, like, a really affable guy. Not at all an affable guy. Right. Um, And that's disappointing, right? So sad. So upsetting. I mean, some people really, like, Ted Danson is amazing and such a sweet guy, and, like, that was nice. And Leah Remini is no surprises. But, like, when people are... You think some Oh you know what's crazy Okay so I worked on Spin City I don't know if you've ever heard of it Michael J. Fox Come on So Michael J. Fox And his mom On Family Ties Meredith Baxter She was on the show And they hate each other Wow So I was like Why is Mrs. Keaton Being so mean to Alex Keaton Right Like it really It shatters your Your like everything And like Your TV dreams The one thing I have found From covering sports Mainly But similar worlds the people you think are going to be super cool, as in actually cool in the right. Fonzie kind of way of cool, right. aren't cool at all. No. Like, no, it almost doesn't no. exist. No, also Fonzie was like 35, living in an attic. He had one outfit, and he hung out with high school. I talk about high school girls, right? <laughs> and his office is a bathroom, right? And he was cool. Yeah. Um, it's a good point. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, it does shatter your, your. Also, even when I worked on Spin City, I was a PA in New York, and it was like the worst job I've ever had. It was. Awful. Wait, why? It was just like PA is production assistant. Production assistant, but it was like grunt work to the point where it was just to make you feel bad about yourself. Like I would just have to, like, just constantly getting like plates of food for people and like ordering cars for people who could order their own shit and just like you're just like a you really are like and they, people treat you like shit. Writers, I'm very kind to people and I over, like I tip a lot because I was a waitress and a really bad one, but also I was a PA, so I'm very like I understand those people, but. People People just shit on them. People like writers shit on them, and every, it was just awful. But um, I met Michael J. Fox, who was on the show, and then like in one second, I was like, "Well, that's that." Like you're like excited to meet someone, Alex P. Keaton, and then I'm like, "Oh, that's so interesting." That's it. I want to go home. I heard he was a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Yeah. But yeah. fame affects me. Like fame, I always say like the same thing with athletes. Like. I always used to someone would be like so and so is a nice guy and I'd always say for an athlete like yes. you know what I mean yes. he's a nice guy for an actor right it's yes. something if about someone's fame like, it's something about fame I mean people really okay so Tim Allen um, I worked for him on Last Man Standing and we had to go this is in my book but I had to go with three other guys to his house in Colorado to an undisclosed location for four days um, just with Tim and these three other writers and we were in this coffee shop and there was no one there but when we walked in there was one person outside on the phone and then he had his back to the door and I was sitting next to him and all of a sudden the door opened and all these people started coming in and he was like and here they come and then like to get his autograph and I was like well what about when they stop coming and he's like that'll be worse and then this woman came up to him and she said I'd hate to bother you and he goes and yet I had um we used to live across the street from people who were friends with Martin Sheen okay and uh Martin Sheen like broke his leg or something and he stayed with them right is he nice they said he was nice but he he broke his leg actually this is the thing they said he was always a great guy nice guy blah 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 and he broke his leg and he stayed with them for a couple weeks right to rehab and one night they went out to a restaurant and they said Martin Sheen said can we go somewhere where we're just going to be out of the way and no one's going to see me and they did and they said the whole time he was there he was looking for people to see him that's the you get addicted to it I I think it becomes the norm I wouldn't want people looking at me all the time which is good news for me Right. But because they're not, but I'm sure that goes to your head. It has to. Yeah. I mean, I had one minute where I was reading my book to people, and I was like, hey. you know, I'm gonna be. I was buying a bunch of copies of my book the other day, and I heard, um, I heard someone say, "You must be Liz Astroff," and I turn, and I'm like, "Oh my god, they recognize me!" And then I saw that the whole, the side of my book that was facing out, there was just five Liz Astroffs um, in a row, and. 
and it was I think a homeless gentleman because he wasn't wearing shoes and I was like I thought I was recognized and I got excited but it's just that I was holding five copies of what had to have been my book so funny I know it was sad Famous and he didn't want one he didn't want one Did I offered him one I said I'm going to pay for it and he was like no I want that other book on Laurel Canyon I'm like well you're going to have to get it yourself <laughs> I cannot buy her that book I'm like this is hardcover it would make a good hat how many copies of your own book have you bought um, I have bought I've only bought like six copies but I did do a giveaway at Amazon oh, that's good so I don't know I don't know that's I good. was going to like fill my garage with them like some people do but I was like I, I'm not going to do well, it how many copies did the publisher give you um, I don't know they gave me probably like 30 yeah. right yeah. I don't know yeah, so good. weird I didn't realize they were going to like publish it and then like my parents are angry oh your parents are mad oh yeah tell, wait tell me about this why are your parents mad I love this well, stuff well my mother and I are estranged I mean the book is really horrible to her but we were estranged and she deserved it but my dad and my stepmother are hurt because um, we don't talk about stuff growing up we never talked about anything and then and then in the book I from guess we're revealing from Long there. Island see for Long Island and um, we definitely was, have Jewish friends in common definitely, we don't know it yet yes but we do, but we do. Yeah. many um, we're related probably but yeah. but I think I was like not I pulled back a lot so I thought I was I, I thought I was nice to them but I guess I was not in some places I don't I, I think they saw my childhood differently than I did and then I started to think maybe I was crazy but then my brother confirmed that it all happened so I thought less crazy but it's like why did I have to publish all of that so were they excited for the book to come out and then it came out and then they I read sent it them, I sent them a copy beforehand nervously like yes but they were reading it and they were like we love it we love it I'm like it's embellished it's embellished they're like it's great then radio silence so I had my husband call them he's like my bodyguard he yeah. called them they called him back the next day and all I heard on his side was she's a comedy writer she's a comedy writer she's a co she, we tried to prepare you we tried to prepare we tried try, calm down she's a comedy writer and then my son was nearby and he was learning French and he had headphones on and he just kept going enchanté enchanté but um, they were really pissed and then they got over it they felt better about it but I think things are a little bit I feel bad I feel bad but I am codependent that's part of it is that I like care too much about other people's feelings when really you know it's entertaining nobody likes flawless people and so they'll they're you know entertaining yeah but nobody wants to hear oh I know because it's out of their control so like you wrote it and they're like why the fuck did you write about our flaws it's yes. not for public consumption well that's what my dad said musing one night before the book came out he was like we don't talk outside of our family and I was like it's gonna be in Chinese um is it gonna be in Chinese I don't know that said worldwide yes I think it was on like a Chinese Amazon oh that's cool and then um I can't imagine them relating to my TV stories but anyway so they they were unhappy with it and I do feel bad because my mom was a monster so I was like what if I'm a monster too but you don't um, seem monstrous I'm so not you seem like I'm a nice not. person I'm a nice person no. so and it was shitty like they sent me to fat camp and maybe that was a very 80s thing to do but the way they did it was cruel and I had to put it in, because I can't I can't I have to let my kids eat whatever they want and I can't say anything about anything because of what my parents did to me so that's like explaining why I let my son eat a stick of butter like it's an apple. It's tasty though. It's really good. He loves butter. He got butter for his birthday one year from a friend when he was in first grade. His friend got him butters from around the world. Isn't that sad? That's like unhealthy. But Is that I like butter say. of the month club? Kind of, but it was all at once. Yeah. So we had 12. I don't know. We had a bunch of butters. We had like a whole crisper full of butters and he would run his chubby little finger along them every day deciding which butter to have. But I couldn't say anything because yeah. my parents called me fat. So I had, um, my parents are great, right? But when I was, uh, my bar mitzvah, I'm yeah. sorry you were not invited. It was at the uh, Mount Kisco Holiday Inn. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> my mom did something. I've never actually talked about it on this podcast, but I want you to tell me if you think she was wrong or right. We invited about, whatever, it was say 120 people to my bar mitzvah, Mount Kisco Holiday Inn. Okay. And we had a, in the Mount Kisco Holiday Inn, they had a bar. So we had a reception in the bar after the ceremony. The ceremony was in the in the hotel. Right. You go to the bar. Oh, so the whole, okay. There'd be a string quartet in the bar. Yeah. And then there was the main thing. Right. She invited some people to both the cocktail reception and the main thing. Some Other people, people only invited to the cocktail hour? 
Yes. <gasps> and they didn't know. Nobody knew. And then they told when they when they like they'd be like, okay, like are the lights? Yes. Only some people were invited into like the dance hall. Yes. That's crazy. So don't That's you think, good. in hindsight, it is fair game? That is fair game. Yeah. So did people just say I'm staying? No. I remember one kid, Jimmy McDonald, being like, wait, what? What? Oh my wait. God, that's terrible. So even friends of yours had to leave? Yeah. That's fucked up. But they were like, they weren't like my best friends, but right. they were invited to the damn thing. Like my neighbors who right. like helped raise me, right. only invited to the cocktail hour. Oh my God, that's the funniest thing ever. I have never heard of that happening. Yeah. That's hilarious. Like you could be invited to the temple part, like right. the ceremony, sure. which no one's going to wants to come to. And then there's like a little lunch after sometimes, mm-hmm. but like you ha- if you're invited to the cocktail hour, you have to be invited to the, that's terrible. So I think that's fair game for my writing. Yes, I hope you wrote about it. Did you write about it? I have, but then I deleted it because my mom is a, she actually is a great mother and it kind of hurt her feelings. And whenever I write about her, she really cringes because I think I'm like you, like I'm a sharer of information. Yes, yes. I didn't think it mattered that, first of all, I called my stepmother like beautiful, kind, clean Kathy because my real mother was really horrible and, and very violent and dirty. So I was like, I called you clean, but you know, I mean... They weren't great. So I think there was some stuff that they... There was so much I took out also. Thank God I took it out. Thank God. It's just... If you think about it, it is interesting, right? Because people like us, like, we are sharers of information. Like, we like sharing. We feel like everything is material. And everything is material. Everything is material. But the people involved did not sign up for that. Yes, exactly. So what the fuck? Like, I I just aired our dirty laundry all over the place. Like, sorry. And I just told you my bar mitzvah story. I love that story. That's great. You can use it if you want to use it. I might use it. That's so funny. That's ridiculous. Did they have to, like, boot people out? Did they just bring chairs in? Did everybody leave who was supposed to leave? Yeah, they left. It was awkward. I can't even I got stuck in my bar mitzvah dress, which, because it was too small at the fitting, and they had to cut me out of it, and it was really traumatic. (laughs) Where were you? It's in the book also. Where was your bat mitzvah? My bat mitzvah was at Temple Judea in Massapequa, and it was um, it was a black tie affair. And my stepmother, I guess she didn't like this either. My stepmother was wore white, and it was kind of like it was their wedding, my parents' wedding, because my dad and my stepmother didn't have their own wedding. So I was like just joking about it in the book, saying it was like her fucking wedding. And um, I think she's not happy about that. But anyway, so I was fat, and um, I went for my fitting at Little Royalty in Great Neck. Great and, place. Yeah, great, really, really fun place. And. I knew when I would put my head through the hole, the head hole, um, that it was going to be, even the head was going to be too tight. And I got stuck in it, and these two seamstresses had to cut me out of it. It was humiliating. And I was about to be in so much trouble because I had just come back from fat camp the year before, and I, like, lost a bunch of weight, but then I gained it. And I was about to be in so much trouble, but then we found out they made the dress in the wrong size. Thank God. Well, it was good and bad because it was good that I was not wrong, but it was bad that the right size was, like, a woman's. 12. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to take a shot. I want to take a shot at your family. Okay. Don't hate me for this. Okay. What the fuck's with a black tie bar mitzvah? I know. Bar mitzvah. Oh my god, I know. See, it was a wedding. My dad wore gray. But yes, it, I think it was black tie and I only was I was only allowed to invite like seven friends. But all of my friends from my friends from camp and Hebrew school were Jewish, but my friends from school school, I went to an all mostly Catholic school and everyone was like, "It's your bat mitzvah." All right. It's your bat mitzvah. Like nobody knew what it was. It was crazy. Stop being a Jew. Before we continue with Two Writers Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Jeff Perlman. I'm here with my daughter, Casey, and she's excited because I wrote a new poem called Ode to 503 Sports. You're not good at this. Okay, here I go. I carry throwback jerseys with me. I carry them in my heart. I'm never without my throwback Ken Lacey Michigan Panthers gear. Anywhere it goes, I go, my dear. And whatever is done by 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise, is your doing, my darling. Did you seriously just rip off an E.E. Cummings poem? Mm, No, I wrote it. Just go to 503-sports.com, I swear. I swear, I was adopted. You're very self-deprecating, yeah. and but your career fucking kicks ass. Like your career is amazing, and your yes. resume is amazing, and like the shows you worked on is it? I just it's insane. Like it's it really is. impressive. Oh, thank you. Didn't you know that? No, I don't. I don't. You know what? Because every there's like a failure in everything I do. Like it's that like I've done that, but I haven't. Probably. You know, I haven't like done had a show on the air of my own. So it's yeah, very you know it's all relative. How do you? I have no clue. Okay, I'm coming blank slate. Right. Like let's just what would you say your best show? Two broke 
Gross? No. What? no. The best show, first of all, the most fun I've had was on a show called Kath and Kim, which was an Australian show that was adapted here. Okay. That was the funniest to me. Um, King of Queens was probably the second funniest, but uh, not a great, like it was okay. It was a lot of long, crazy long hours. And then I would say, and then I would say Two Broke Girls, I think. You're a writer for a TV show. You have an episode, whatever. You're writing episode number, whatever. Like, right. I don't even know how the process works. I literally don't know. So we all come up with stories together. We how many are in a room generally? Usually anywhere from like nine to like 15, but we split rooms sometimes. If there's 15 people in the room, it's just stupid because there's usually only four people that are doing anything. It's too many people, too many voices. Um, and by the end of the year, you're ready to blow your brains out if like anybody like chews again. Really? Like everybody's chews, they're chewing, their facial expressions, everything drives you crazy. Myself included. So you come up with the stories together, you break it out, and then one person goes and writes the outline, and then they get notes on the outline. And first of all, the story changes 400 times before an outline's even written. Um, and then they write the outline, get notes on the outline, then they write a draft, everybody writes a draft of their script, and then they get notes on the draft, and then they do another draft, and then that draft gets rewritten and punched up by the whole room of writers. It's called tabling. And then you get notes on that from the studio and then you do another the room does another draft then you get notes on that from the network and then you do another draft of that same script then it goes to at least one draft then at least one more draft so like 18 drafts now then it goes to the table and the actors read it and we go into production and then the next day and then we do a rewrite there are about 17 rewrites between the time that, there are five rewrites between the time that the actors the cast reads it and we shoot it so like everybody's scripts are really everybody's scripts and a lot of shows room write like when you get behind at the end you don't go off and write scripts you just write them all together in the room wow you split up and then you just put someone's name on them like Chuck Lorre shows they don't go off and write they write everything in the room so it sounds uh, it doesn't really sound that fun because no. it sounds like every good idea you have or at least 90% of them probably gets slashed somewhere along the way yes, no. yes and it's so much it's so many damaged people I mean you're not like a comedy writer because you're happy is that true <laughs> a lot of them, yeah, it's like a lot of egos and a lot of, there aren't many women, there are like very few women, there's usually like two in a room, which is fine, but um, it depends, if your showrunner doesn't like their home life, you're there all night and it sucks. Showrunner does what? The showrunner does, right? Showrunner does. Like what's the job? Oh, showrunner? the showrunner is over, is like the head of like all the writing, all the stories, all the sets, all the, like everything goes through them. They run the show, but they, um, they oversee all the writing and they rewrite people People or they have other people do it. They delegate, and if some if there's a decisive showrunner, then you get out early. You know what you want. Like they want to be home by five, six, you whatever. Want you want that. You do not want to work for someone. You're like, I heard he hates his family. I'm not taking the job. Does that happen? Really? Yes. And one job that I worked on, I heard he liked his family, but then he had hated his family, and they worked all night on this other show. And then they told me he liked his family, so I went and worked on it, and then found out he hated his family again <laughs> well, what is like and they just stay all night but what is the writing process like what I mean is like are you sitting down with your laptop no we sit at a table I mean it's all different but we sit at a table we usually sit at a conference table and um, there's like a bunch of monitors like big TV monitors and the script comes up on a monitor there's a writer's assistant who's working on a laptop or, or like a desktop and what they're writing comes up on the monitor and then someone whoever's in charge takes pitches from the room and either puts it in the script or doesn't. So it's really, it's like, isn't it like, it's like, um, it's like Lord of the Flies. It really is. You can get in those toxic situations. I worked with my brother a couple years ago. He had a show called Trial and Error. And um, that was one of my favorite shows also. But working with him, I consulted on it. And it was like our sibling dynamic immediately came rushing back. But not our sibling dynamic now. Our sibling dynamic at its worst when I was like this like fat kid that he teased all day. So um, I vowed never to work for him again, only to work with him. But he was my boss. And he was, he was kind of a dick. So that was a good People said that it was like watching Mrs. Maisel at our end of the table. But I would be like, shut up, Jeff. And he was the showrunner. Someone said, like, Jeff, can you get me a water? Oh, he left the room. And I was like, Jeff, get me a water. And then someone else goes, imagine if I asked him to get me a water. And I was like, it's Jeff. Who gives a shit? That's so funny. And he's like, don't do that. Don't undermine me. But I used to, like, sneak out and stuff and leave. And anyway. Is there a, is there a correlation 
between happy writer's room and quality show? Usually, the happier the writer's room, the worse the show is. Why is a lot that? of times. I don't know, like, King of Queens was not a happy writer's room at all, and we were there till all hours, and the show wound up being really decent, but it didn't, it, it wasn't because we worked those hours. It, it wasn't because everything got better after two in the morning. It just so happens that those shows, like, when you're on a, a show that's really fun, like when I was on Kath and Kim, it just doesn't last. It's a bummer. For some reason Two Broke Girls Was good by the end But it's like Usually the more toxic The show The better it does It's so weird Isn't that weird? Yeah a little bit It's interesting Yeah Did you think this career Was going to be different Than it is Or have you Like it doesn't It doesn't sound like You love it I do Well I do But I'm taking this year To like develop my own stuff But Like what do you love about it? I love laughing my ass off. I miss laughing. Because when you're writing a book or when you're writing, like, your own TV stuff, you're not with people. And it's, I miss laughing. And I miss having, I for sure miss it. I miss having a hiatus where I know I'm going to go back to a show. I never took that for granted. Because usually every year you're, like, jackassing around and, like, meeting people on their shows and trying to get another. It's the only, it's one of the only jobs where you're out of a job every 10 months. Unless you get on a, like, on a show that comes back. So I never took that for granted, having hiatus. And also having a steady place to go when everybody else is like pitching pilots and stuff like that so I've been very lucky allow yourself to be cocky or arrogant or whatever it is self-assured because there are a million people crawling around this town from their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s who are convinced they should be writing for the show or they're really funny or who are serving us bread right now or you know like what is it about you or your sensibilities or whatever that has allowed you to sustain for this long I think that it's my I watched so much TV as a kid that it seeped into my brain and I just know like the rhythms of comedy of like sitcoms and stuff but also I'm not a polarizing person I think you can't be I guess I think I'm funny and I have a funny point of view and I just get like I understand like comedy stories and stuff I don't know I mean some of it's luck but I just know sitcoms so well from growing up mostly watching mostly only watching TV and eating what's the uh, what's and I'm a resilient. rhythm what's I'm, a rhythm of a sitcom like a certain amount of things like the way things have to happen before an act break like how you introduce things and how like like, the, like you hear like a music in your head, not to be corny, but you hear like the music of the like that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, I I just get that puzzle for some reason. Like you hear it, you, you hear it, how it's going to unfold. Like, is that? Yes. You know where things have to go and then you start like moving things around and it's torture. But I think that some of it's luck. Some of it's I'm a woman because there are many funny women. I think I'm funny and also good at stories because of all the TV I've watched. And um I'm, I think because I'm, I'm kind I'm not like I don't push my own jokes I'm not annoying I'm not um, mean I think that helps and again being a woman I think but you said there aren't that many funny women is it that there aren't that many funny women or there aren't that many women allowed to be funny in the medium I, this is going to be awful but I don't think there are I think both but I think there are not as many funny women as there should be why is that that's interesting Maybe it's because they're not allowed to be. Maybe that's like a cultural like thing, like an archaic thing. But I don't know. There just aren't there aren't that many funny people. Yeah. Like you read so many scripts, and, and it's so hard to find really funny people. But men are considered funnier than women, and I don't necessarily think that that's true. I just think that there are more of them out here. Interesting. You know, so I don't know. I got really, really, I did get lucky. Do you feel... And I'm resilient because of my childhood. I can be beaten down and then I keep getting back up. Like, what's your greatest uh, professional rejection? Oh, you know what? Oh, my God. Is um, Modern Family because I was waiting for an offer on that show and then um, some another writer who um, hadn't worked in a long time decided to come back to TV and she was a friend of a friend on the show and she got the job and I was literally on the like got the job and then I didn't get it so how do they tell you that was sad call you and say my agent is just like they went another way 
and I'm like, Ugh. but actually, my greatest failures and and I'm actually it, everything worked out the way it was supposed to. But my greatest projection was when I write a pilot and it doesn't get made, and you you know they tell you to start looking at directors and they say it's going to happen and you're waiting for the call and there's so much pressure on it and you're watching everybody else's shows get picked up and every time one of them gets picked, I mean it's a competition. You're in competition with your best friends. You don't wish the best for them, but you wish you feel like shit because you don't, and then um, and vice versa. And then you have to help them when yours doesn't go. You have to help them with theirs out of the goodness of your heart. Um, and and that's that's the worst part. Is I've sobbed so much over things dying, and also the roller coaster of something's going to get bought. It's coming today. The offer's coming today. It's coming today. And then they just the wind blows a certain way, and it's gone. So I've had uh, I've had different books optioned through the years, right? My first book, I wrote a book about the '86 New York Mets, and um, I was at that. I was at that World Series. Were you really with Bill Buckner? Yeah. And, yes. Yeah. And my brother was in London on like an exchange student thing, so I got to go with my dad, and he remembers seeing me on TV. We had really good seats. My dad's company had a box, and we were by the third baseline, and I was reading like a Seventeen magazine, sitting in the stands, like everyone's up, and Didn't I'm care. sitting reading a magazine. And he was furious because he was like, she's fucking reading a magazine and I could be there. But then when the when Mookie Wilson hit the ball, yeah. we went crazy. I was a fan after that. Wow. That was crazy. It all was lost. That wow. was crazy. The yeah. whole place was shaking. Yeah. The guy next to me started doing the polka, which he only pulls out when they're in really big trouble. And I think that's why why that happened. It could be. So I wrote this book. And it came out and I got early on in my career, someone gave me $30,000 to option that book. And I was like, wow, this is like free money. And then I was like, and they're going to make a movie out of it, right? Because I was 20, whatever years old. They're going to make a movie. This is amazing. And I assumed they were going to make a movie because they gave me $30,000 and blah, blah. And of course, it never happened, right? And the same guy who bought it, I was with him at the Soho Club recently. Some, not recently, a few years ago. He was trying to represent me. And he started showing me pictures of all the girls he's fucked, his words, scrolling through his phone, showing me all the naked women and the pictures he took of them. And Tanya Tucker. No, no Tanya Tucker. No, it's very disappointing. <laughs> but like, I just find like the hope that dies, yeah. the scumbags, this thing. Here's the one that gets me the most, all right? My number one pet peeve of all time is yeah. this. I have so-and-so on the line for you. Like, fucking call me yourself, you arrogant douche. Oh, like, so what is that? that? What is yeah, that? So much. It's call yourself. And also, when you have conference calls, everybody calls into a conference call, but certain people won't get on the phone until other people are on the phone. They have to be the last person on the phone. So you just are always waiting for that person. And I'm always one of the first people on the call because... I don't have the nerve to like show up last, but one of these days I'm gonna like show up last. You gotta do your power play. Also, with people like that, like I don't like double speak. Like when agents talk, they're double speak and like confuse me because I don't have a business head. That I, it doesn't that bothers me. And when they assume I'm stupid, like when they assume you don't understand what's happening and they try to like snow you about things. When they tell you some deal is happening and you know it's not and you know they fucked up or something like that but they're trying to act like you're an idiot I don't like that do you feel like people in this business try to take advantage of you because you are a woman do you think they view you differently than your average whatever mid 40s guy well maybe but also yeah probably and also people like if you're a mom and stuff and you need to like leave or do something womanly at all anything for your kids or anything it's definitely seen as a weakness interesting people probably like yes people have rewritten me more or talked over me or treated me differently because I'm a woman for sure but the thing is is that I am again I'm resilient I just keep getting back up right. it's probably annoying you also have like a uh, I say this as a compliment um, it's one of my favorite characteristics you have a certain New York swagger to you or not it's like that I feel like a lot of people have if you're from New York it's that yeah. like fuck off you know yes, like that yes. kind of thing I do and here's the other thing is that I'm not a lot of this business is schmoozing and like kissing ass and I don't do any of that which has been to my detriment because I don't go out for dinner with people I don't like I just don't do any of that like and it's it's fucked me a little bit because I'm not fake and also if I don't like someone I can't hide it right. which is bad right. I'm not duplicitous so like once Kevin James was an asshole I was like so he behaved as an asshole and he's he an like, asshole he is. he is and also when he behaved 
behave that way, the other writers would say, you know, but he bought you your house. And I'm like, I bought my fucking house. He didn't buy me my house. And you know what? It's not a great house. I live in the valley. Did you write about him? No, I did not write about him. I write about a boss that I had that was also terrible. But I, I don't write about Kevin. Maybe someday. He's so, just, but he killed his wife on a CBS show. I mean, I think everybody, right. the cat's out of the bag. Yeah, that's right. So, not a nice guy. Um, well, you worked on a show, The Connors, which was after Roseanne imploded. Yes. And it was not, the reviews are not great of the con- Like, you're working on a show. Well, I started the day that Roseanne tweeted that. So that was my first day of work. Whitney was on the show, and she was like, that was that showrunner, Bruce Helford, who, when he did Drew Carey, he, and when he did Roseanne back in the 80s, he never wanted to go home, and they worked insane hours. Right. And Whitney was like, no, the hours are great. It's 11 to 6, you know, whatever, 11 to 5. It's so great. It's so easy. He wants to go home. It's good, whatever. She left. I went on Rose. I started Roseanne the first day of work. First time I've ever been early. You were working on Roseanne. Yeah. Well, the first I was supposed to be, but on my way to work, I heard on Howard Stern that she sent out this tweet. Wait, on your way to work on Roseanne? Yes. She sent out the tweet. Have you ever met her? No. Okay. So I get to work. Because I think you would have liked her. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. I heard that I was going to hate her actually, Uh and also, but that she'd mellowed out a lot. And I was like, if I don't have, if the hours are great, I can deal with anyone. But. No, I knew that I wouldn't like her and that she was a monster, but I was used to that. So, and it would be syndicated and it would be a good credit and whatever. So, I got to work and the tweet had gone out and everyone was in crisis mode and I went to the bathroom and it was like the opposite of a surprise party. I came out and everyone was gone. And someone just walks by and goes, Sarah Sarah Gilbert was like standing there and she just goes, we're canceled. And then, and I love Sarah, but I was like, oh, cool. I have such short-sighted vision. I was like, I get to go to yoga. And I left, and I'm sitting writing someplace. I was working on the book. Did you not go to yoga? I did go to yoga, but I went later. But first, I was working on the book, and the two tables next to me on either side were both talking about what happened with Roseanne. And people were calling me for quotes, and I'm like, I have nothing to say. I don't know what happened. I got there early. That's the most exciting thing. But it was crazy. And then a couple, like a month later, a few weeks later, they called and said, we're doing the show, The Connors. We start Monday. And I really didn't have a choice. For some reason, I had to make like a game time decision. And so you weren't under contract, you had to do it. I wasn't under contract, but everyone kind of was doing it. I said, actually, if I don't make as much as that person, I'm not doing it, thinking I wouldn't. And then I did, and I was like, fuck. Um, it was so weird. It was weird. It was um, it was a bunch of men not listening, not giving one shit what women had to say in the room. Like, and how was, many writers would you say were in the room? There were, like, 14 writers, and two of them were used. And the rest of us just sat there, like pitching jokes and like making each other laugh and then I had these colored pencils one of my friends had these colored pencils and we'd just doodle all day and um, I said when my pink pencil gets down to the nub I'm leaving and that's exactly what I did I was there for three months my pink pencil was down to the nub I have a picture of it and I was like bye did you know the show would suck I didn't. I thought it was going to be funny. I think it's really dark and sad. I wrote an episode, though. I did write an episode. Um, I did, was not there when they shot it. I, I couldn't. I was having panic attacks every day because I want to create my own stuff or at least be useful, and I'm used to being useful. And it was so exclusive and, like, it just, none of, it was crazy. And it was roundly known that, like, no one got, like, you were just, we were just sitting there wasting our time. And I was like, I'm not going to get fat for this. So... How were, how were the lunches they brought in? Were they good? Terrible. They weren't even they good? They weren't even good. They weren't, it wasn't even like a hit show. But it was also, I had to park like on the roof of the parking structure. And I was like, I got I to get out of here. But my actually, my kid was having some emotional stuff. And that's why I was like, and I surprised myself because I never thought I'd put my kids first. And I was like, I have to be home. I have to leave. So I left. Wow. So I was home for him. Am I am I misread? Did I misread your IMDb page that your first writing thing that you actually wrote was an episode of Spin City? Or no? I did not. Oh, you did? I was a PA. I ordered cars. Okay. Because your IMDb actually credits you as a writer. It does? Yeah. So That's congrats. crazy. Thank yeah. you. Did you get I got your money? a writing job? Thank yeah. you. No, but one time, so I had such bad OCD back then. I mean, I, unmedicated. So I used to, we worked at Chelsea Piers all the way downtown. And Gary Goldberg, the creator, who's this like brilliant man, he was, he lived on the Upper West Side. So back then, we had to bring these tapes, VHS tapes, to his apartment. So I took a cab. I had no money. Paid for myself, took a cab, and dropped them off because I volunteered to, volunteer to drop them off. Dropped them off at the front of his building, got back in the cab, halfway back to, got back to my apartment, and I was like, shit. I didn't look at the address when I dropped them off. So I'd go all the way back across the park in a cab, 
it's like 12 o'clock at night. I make sure I have the address right. I go back in, they're there, whatever. I have the address right. Go back in my in the cab, in a, a different cab. Get back to my apartment. Get all the way upstairs, like my fifth floor walk up, and I'm like, shit. I didn't. I don't know if I put his name on it. Oh. So you can't call anyone because it's like not pre, like kind of pre cell phone ish. So I get back in the, another cab. Now it's like one o'clock in the morning. I get back in another cab, go all the way back, and make sure that they know that his name is on it and they know it's for him. And then I take a cab all the way back home. And it was like a hundred dollars, like that kind of crazy shit. And I had to fax scripts to LA, like jamming, like just pushing pages in a fax machine. It was no good. Terrible. What's um what's the best sitcom writing wise ever? Not that you worked on, just what's a sitcom? What's a sitcom from when you were growing up? Oh you're my like, god. Odd couple. Oh yeah, what makes you say that? I loved it. I just it was so funny and smart and it was brilliant. I loved it. I loved the characters. I lo- know like every line from that show. It made me laugh out loud. All in the family also. All those shows. Because it seems hard. It seems like the trick in a way <laughs> is to make something simultaneously funny or at least endearing and entertaining yeah. that also holds your interest. Yes. And it seems really, really hard. It's really hard and also like I think like everybody loves Raymond did it and Friends and um, those 90s sitcoms did it and I think that was like the end of it kind of of doing that because then you get so many notes from people it just waters everything down but All in the Family was so brilliantly written and same with um, same with The Odd Couple I loved it if those shows came along now would people be like what is this shit Only, well they tried to do The Odd Couple over but I think if they were written the same way or act, I think actors aren't as good I really do I think they're not Why as that? good now I don't know I feel like they're not as like they're not as textured maybe yeah they're not as like layered they don't have like pathos and stuff because those people were could be like Archie Bunker was horrible do you know he was only like 45 that's crazy isn't that crazy but I agree like who is like who is the Red Fox now or who is a Sherman yeah, there's like, like no where one. are those no one that's why when I'm trying to think of like prototypes when I'm pitching something Something. I'm like, think, um, uh, think a young, it always used to be like a younger this person who was like really good right. back in the 90s. Like Henry Winkler was brilliant he in was Happy He was really days. good. Yeah. yeah, he was really good. Yeah. Um, what, I loved everything. I loved MASH. MASH was dark, and, but it was good. That's my wife's favorite show of all time. I love it. Yeah. Um, Did you like Entourage? I didn't think it was a good show, but I kind of loved it. I couldn't stop. Right. I couldn't stop watching it. Did you see the movie, the Entourage movies? No, did you? Yeah. Oh my God. How was it? No. There are really people like that, though, yeah. right? Yeah. You know what my favorite as a kid was? What? It's weird. Was uh, Different Strokes. Love Different Strokes. If love you go it. back and look at that show, though, like rich white guy takes into poor black kids, it's oh, a it's little bit creepy. Racist. Yeah. It's also racist. They're all racist. Yeah. Like good times, like everything. Yeah. They all were. Yeah. But I, I love that show, too. Do you feel like you have in you somewhere this great show that harkens back to those ages waiting to be well, written? One that I'm adapting now, I'm adapting an Israeli format for um, TV here, for CBS, um, that I'm working on now. And I, it, you always that's always the hope that it could be like one of those classic sitcoms. But it's about this couple that they live in the divorce capital. Um, of the country and everyone they know is getting divorced including everyone who has lived in their house before the contractor the architect everyone who like everyone gets divorced so they're in couples counseling and it's just like really small stories and like you know and hopefully hopefully it'll you know you always hope to make like a classic sitcom like that you always start that way but everything changes do you watch the shows? no never never that I work on? yeah no Interesting. Isn't that weird? Because I'm so sick of them. You really do like eight billion rewrites before before you shoot it, and even on the show night, you rewrite stuff. Yeah. Thank so, you so much for yeah. appearing on Thank this. Thank you so yeah. much for having me and for bringing me over here to Little Tokyo. My pleasure. I want to thank today's guest, Liz Astroff, for joining me on Two Writers Sling and Yang. You can follow Liz on Twitter at Liz Astroff. Visit her website, LizAstroff.com. And pick up her new book, Don't Wait Up, wherever books are sold. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. Visit the website at 503-sports.com. One can listen to Two Writers Sling and Yang on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. And your views are always appreciated. Music is by the dazzling MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing.